You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number seven. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and it's good to be back. And I've got the man himself with me, Mr. Chris Field. Hi, Chris. Hi, Guy. Hey, I just want to make a comment to our, our listeners. It's been great to get some terrific feedback. We haven't done a whole lot yet, but already we're getting some terrific feedback. So it's great to be able to bless you guys. Yeah. And uh, so, Chris, I, you've actually been around, uh, tripping around with your dad, haven't you, the last couple Had of days? Had a fantastic time getting away. Second time I've done a big road trip with my dad. At the end of it, he just said to me, he said, oh, I thought it might have taken a bit longer. So it's just great to hear his heart, really appreciating that uh, he wants to spend more time like that. And uh, he's, the, unfortunately, my other brothers, uh, I've got a number of them, but they're all busy with, with their lives and not as flexible as I am. He just really thrives on that intimacy. It's just great. So we actually did a podcast with your dad, Clive, back in episode number two, didn't we? Yeah, and it was just great. I mean, I, I didn't participate much in that because I wanted him to tell the story and you to hear that. But uh, I've subsequently uh, sat with him and, and downloaded and debriefed a whole lot of stuff about the pain and issues he's gone through. And I think it's just great for him to be able to talk about things very remote, like decades and decades later, but actually kind of resolve things in his own life. But, mm. uh, have haunted him or been unresolved. It's just a really precious experience. And for those guys that ever get the chance to do that with your dad, um, I think it'd be blessing both in both directions. Mm. And uh, that episode was actually about turning the tide of fatherlessness, wasn't it? And, uh, and there, was a, there was a key moment in Clive's story where there was one man who came alongside Clive and not only changed his life, but significantly impacted the three generations that have followed so you and then your kids and your grandkids. So yeah. how many great-grandchildren has Clive got? Uh, now, that's a good question. I think it's certainly heading up toward about 30 at the moment. Right. More. I, I just forget the details. So I do recommend to our listeners to go back and listen to that episode, episode number two. Don't do it now, but do it later because it ties in with today's show very well. And actually, on today's show, we have a man who is doing what that man did who came alongside Clive. And, uh, and got alongside Clive and really changed his life. And so we've got on the line today the founder of The Father Code, Jack Thurston. Welcome to the show, Jack. Uh, welcome, Guy. Uh, welcome, Chris. And, uh, and hello to everyone listening. So The Father Code is an unusual term. It's, you know, it sort of implies some sort of secret, uh, some sort of hidden message. Uh, what does it mean? In fact, can you tell us a bit about your story and what, the Father Code means and how you led, led you to develop the Father Code. What's that all about? Uh, okay. Well, look, I, I suppose I'll, um, with this cut to, to really quite a significant um, period in my life, and uh, I'll uh, just step back and give you a, a little bit of a, a background to, to my situation. So uh, I was raised uh, by a single mother. My, my father was uh, in the SAS. Um, and he was actually deployed in Malaysia. Um, and I found out at a far later time in my life that, that he was deployed in a very hostile time in Australia's history. And whilst um, our uh, men and women who serve in our armed forces are, are trained very well to do the job they're meant to do, sometimes this might mean that they, they might struggle with... Uh, standard facts of life that you and I take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so my parents 
divorced when I was two. Um, it was a fairly uncomfortable split. And I was raised by a loving mother who worked uh, as a nurse um, and, and thought that everything was pretty similar to most other people. But as I grew in my, my uh, early teens and, and, and later in my teens, it became quite evident that, that I felt different at a very deep level. And I felt um, I couldn't put my finger on it. And, and it was a really, it, it was a very tough thing just to, to verbalize. Um, I, I was very insular and um, I, I took to sports and a lot of other areas to try and deal with it. But, but later on in my life and I around about my late twenties, I actually tracked my father down. I, I had no contact with my father through that period at all. He was not raised uh, in conversation in my family. Um, and so I, I tracked him down and um, he was living in uh, rural South Australia at the time. I was, um, I, I grew up on in New South Wales and, uh, but at this stage of my life, I'd traveled extensively and I was living in Western Australia. And so I booked holidays and I found out where my father was and I hopped in my car and drove across the Nullarbor, which is, is quite an odd ordeal if anyone um, has ever done that, and drove across and found this tiny little town in outback South Australia and discovered my dad wasn't there. And I went to the local post office. This was quite a long time ago, so uh, secrecy and privacy laws weren't really what they are now. Mm. And I found out from my uh, from the local post office that my dad was on holidays in New Zealand and that he was coming back in a few weeks' time. So um, I uh, quickly regrouped and um, thought I was a little bit of a, a, a goose for, for not really getting that detail down. Drove across the rest of the country, went back to where I grew up and um, caught up with a whole lot of friends and then um, had a, a day's window in South Australia before I had to get back to Western Australia and get back to work. And um, so I did all that and, you know, quite nervous driving across rural Australia, get back to, to the town and find out where my dad is and I walk up and I knock on the door and as you could well imagine, it was a... a an incredibly emotional time and I knock on the door and um, my father had since remarried and this lady uh, lovely lady turns up at the door and I introduce myself and uh, and you know I'm my father's son and and I'd love to meet him and um, it, I was quite young at the stage so you could imagine the turmoil that that created in this in this household how, and how old were you then Jack I was in my early 20s okay so um and uh, and I was, I was probably dealing with all my emotional stuff rather than thinking a little bit larger. So it was all about me and, and as a young mid-20-year-old, fairly standard. And, and so this message comes back after a lot of internal discussion. I, I, I still remember this vividly. And we're talking, I don't even know, don't, don't test me on the math here, 30 years ago. And I remember this point so vividly in my life and I'm standing on this front yard and I'm waiting for this answer and uh, the answer came back and no, he doesn't want to see you. And um, yeah, I've just driven across Australia and a third of the way back and, um, and uh, the build up and everything like that. And um, I was a very, 
I suppose most people would say um, I, I was a very polite guy. I, 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 physically a very big presence, um, very strong, played rugby and, and, and was very masculine sort of guy. But I was a very polite and conforming sort of personality. And, and at this point in my life, I went, no. Uh, when I was conceived, I had the right to see you. And this is through his wife. And, and so this went on and, and, and um, it was quite out of character for me to, to hold so firm. And um, I held firm and, and, um, and, and just to make the story fairly quick, uh, he finally agreed to meet me in a cafe in town. I, I, you know, he was going to meet me in, in 30 minutes. So I went there and I sat there and I waited and my dad turns up and, and, and here's this man, I, I, it's my father, and I've never seen him. I'm mid-20s, and I've never seen this man in my life. He sits down in front of me. And at that point, the gravity of what I've just created comes to me. What do you say to this man that you've never seen before? And um, it was small talk. But what was really powerful for, powerful for me was that I looked at him and, and I recognised part of me. I recognised part of my character, because whether I like it or not, I had a fairly um, closed element of my character. There's quite a lot of deep strength in that that I saw in him and I immediately recognised in myself. Um, funnily enough, physically, I saw his nose and it's my nose, you know. And, I, and, and so these are tiny little things that are, and, and they're about identity. And I saw my identity that time. And... Um, uh, yeah, and you can't have a great conversation at that point in time. I mean, I think it's impossible. Yeah, some people might have been in a similar situation and had a great bonding. I didn't. We talked. It was it was um, polite. It was respectful. Um, and I drove out of that town, and I guarantee you my car was about three feet off the ground. And I drove all the way back to uh, Western Australia across the Nullarbor, and I was so proud of myself. And it was a pivotal point in my life. And um, look, the end result was that relationship with my father. He, he was very closed and it was never a strong relationship. But, but what that time clicked in me was, was, was uh, uh, what's going on here. And I started at that point researching father absence. And what I found um, really shocked me. And, and I don't know if you're aware of the, the statistics that surround father absence. Mm. And so before I go into numbers, I, I want to be very careful and clear about this because I, I don't want to scaremonger. Because there are people who have come from fatherless families and gone on to be presidents. Barack Obama was raised by his grandparents mm. and I believe did not know his father until he was a very mature man. Uh, Jenny Shipley, uh, New Zealand Prime Minister, um, I, I think was in a similar position. And, and so many people have come from a fatherless environment and gone on to lead healthy, successful and, and beautiful you're lives. A, and, you're, and You're a successful businessman yourself, aren't you? You're an executive at a, in, in a, an oil and gas industry. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, that came after quite a long journey, however, because when I look at the statistics, you find that um, things like 63, th these are US statistics, but they give us a good feeling for, for Western world. 63% of all youth suicides 
are from fatherless homes. That's mm. five times the national average. Mm. Um, 90% of all homeless kids are from fatherless homes, you know, 32 times the national average. And these statistics go on and on and on. And, and I was shocked and I was angered and, and I started ask why and, and what can be done. And so that's really where the father code came from. Yeah, yeah. And those, those statistics are, are incredible. And some would say, well, you know, it doesn't imply cause, but when you've got numbers like 70 or 80%, you know, youth in prison from having absent fathers and 70% of, of teenage girls that, that get pregnant of no father at home, these, these are numbers are too high just to be, just to have a correlation. Absolutely. You're talking about numbers that are 20 times, 32 times, five, 10 times the national average. So, so, you know, whilst I'm very careful around statistics, the weight of, of information here just says, whoa, there is something seriously going wrong here. Now, and Jack, so, I just um, started here with a question yeah. for you because I really resonate with what you're talking about. And, and I recognize even a lot of people that have a physical father in the home can still experience something like fatherlessness because he's off at work or he's in the work, he's in the shed or he's off with his mates or he's at the pub and they can be, they can experience fatherlessness just from a disinterested father. But the question I want to come to now is have you found in those 30 years since you've encountered this in a very real way yourself, that there actually are solutions? I mean, is there much that really can be done? Uh, absolutely. Um, th- that is the whole purpose of, the father code and and really where i i focus a lot of my attention now and and that's been quite a long journey um i originally started researching the problem i started researching why um you have this disparity um because m- my mother loved me you know it's not as though i wasn't cared for um she did everything she could so mm. and worked so bloody hard you know so um and then, and then it took me a while before I started figuring out, well, what can be done? And uh, the answer to that, Chris, is, is short in, in succinct terms, absolutely stuff can be done. Ideally, a father role model is probably the best solution. And there are so many good men that go around today that, that can do that. But with the sheer weight of fatherlessness, um, like we're talking now likelihood of more than 50% of all children in the Western world will experience fatherlessness in some form for a significant period of their time. So more kids are growing up with this environment right now than aren't. And, and you mentioned earlier that uh, there, are, uh, there can be men home, but they're un- emotionally unavailable. And um, what the research has showed is that uh, they will, uh, experience the same issues if a, a father's emotionally unavailable, um, alcohol or, or psychological issues, anger issues, or just didn't grasp the key elements of fatherhood that, that you so beautifully told us about right at the beginning when you just drove with your father. Yeah, and, th- and these are experiences that, that don't have to be earth moving, they're just simple beautiful moments and um mm. and and so sometimes that that the the frustration is well the father's there but he's not available and um mm. and that has exactly the same consequences as a physically absent father 
So, so what sort of consequences, from your experience and your research and your work with other men, what, what sort of consequences is this fatherlessness having, having on men? Obviously, this was impacting you even into your 20s and beyond. So, you know, what's yeah, look, look, I, I, I suppose um, uh, slightly my story is very typical of, of most um, people. And this isn't a, a male issue or a female issue. This is, I believe, a human issue. So we're, we're talking about culture in, in this um, circumstance. But, um, uh, yeah, we, we are talking about real men 24-7. So I'll focus this more on men purely because of my assumption of the audience, if, if you'll give me that space. But um, I, I, when I look at it, I, I like to split the, um, the effects in, into two two sections and it's sort of an iceberg it's the tip of the iceberg and, and the the majority that lies below the water and, and the part that we can't see and so the tip of the iceberg to me represents the statistics and and those statistics are damning and um and even now after 30 plus years i look back at them and, and i can't not be affected by how deeply that must affect so many lives yeah yeah we, we, we're talking drugs and alcohol we're talking teenage pregnancy we're talking suicide depression um, anxiety a whole gamut and and that's the tip of the iceberg that's the part that we can see mm, that we measure yeah yeah the, the part that's and and that's a, a really great way to look at it the part that's very difficult to measure and that goes underneath the surface is the, the the slight inability to relate and communicate mm. and be happy and reach full potential? Um, uh, David Henry Thoreau has a has a beautiful quote around this, and and please uh, give me uh, latitude on on the quote, but it's something like um, most men leave uh, lead lives of quiet desperation, um, and then I think he's semi quoted to say that that they will go, most men will go to the grave with their song still within them. That we have so much potential as men, as leaders, as leaders of our family, of our lives. Um, we don't necessarily have to lead our community or our, our, our country, um, but, but just lead ourselves. And that song, that leadership, that potential is not realised. And that's frustrating um, and that's where I, I think we see anger and frustration and, and lashing out and so many social issues that, that are very difficult to put our finger on, but they inextricably tie back to this identity, this frustration and this fatherlessness, which, which is rooted in shame and guilt. That's, that's it. Mm. Now, Jack, talking to our audience here, Real Men 24-7, I think I hear you telling our audience that their role is actually more powerful than many of them actually think it is. A absolutely. That, without doubt. I, I think um, um, it's a very difficult time to be a man. I, I think that society gives us a, 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 almost a schizophrenic view of what a man is meant to be mm. and never so more than right now. Mm. Um, is he meant to be strong? Is he meant to be powerful? And there's all these images of these hairless, ripped, incredibly masculine men. 
Um, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're fighting for equality and equal rights. And, and, um, and you know, we're seeing that, that women are, are outdoing men in, in, in the hard sciences, which were original bastion of, of male psychology, you know, the sciences and maths. And, and uh, I believe in the US, um, college applications are actually now for the first time ever in history are actually dominated by women rather than men. Um, so there's a real shift in, in society of, of what it is to be a man. And um, it, it's a frustrating time. So uh, that, that said, that, that um, I, I think culturally as a result of that, we've lost our way. And, um, and we're now, and I've got to be careful what I say here, but, but I, I'd ask you the question. If I asked you to tell me, five great leaders in the world right now. Like sometimes I struggle to answer that question. I see the Trumps of the world and he's an obvious target and quite an easy one, but I see the, the Tiger Woods and the Lance Armstrongs and, and, and um, people that we would naturally see as leaders and heroes of our nation in the thirties and forties and fifties. Um, because I'm talking about a cultural change that, that didn't happen 300 years ago, that didn't happen 200 years ago, that, that happened 60 years ago. Mm. And as a result of that, it, it's compounding. So um, absolutely. And, and, and the solution for that is, is one by one for men to realise their true potential. And that's it. And that potential might, to, might be to be the best father that they can be to be a great role model for their children, to live a happy life of, of morals, value and, and authenticity. And that's a beautiful life in of itself, if that's that role for that person. I'm going to assume that one of the things that you do, Jack, is to pour in the oil and the wine to the people who feel wounded. So I presume you could probably talk for hours about the different things that people can do to help restore themselves from the process of, of having endured a fatherless environment. Uh, but I guess the other thing that I would probably imagine that you do is that you call forth from men the kind of relational responses they should have with their family as well. You could probably talk for a couple of hours on that as well. So do you want to pick either of those and have a bit of a, have a, bit of a play with them? Jeez, uh, I could go. You're right. Um, uh, I'm, Interviews are a tough one. I'm, I'm used to speaking for days on end in in uh, a lot of group work. So, uh, where would I like to go with that? I, I I do believe that part of the solution is is to accept a greater responsibility, a purpose. Uh, part of where I found my calling was I was at a very lost time. Um, uh, guy, you mentioned earlier that the that I am a, leading a fairly successful life now, but look, I, I certainly played on the fringes of, um, of a, a far darker side of life. Um, in my own journey, I, I, I do believe a quote from um, some Francis of Assisi and, and um, uh, I think I've been all things evil. And if God can work through me, he can work through anyone. Um, and it's one of the things I like to bring to the father code. I, I do not judge anyone partly because I think I've probably flown on the darker side as much as anyone that I've met. And, and you so also it's not a contest. Jack, you also mentioned the word shame 
Is that what might have kept you on the periphery of life a little bit? I think guilt and shame are inextricably linked in with father absence because there's a link to abandonment. And if your own father abandons you, and particularly at a young age, um, there's, there's a certain period in life, pre-adolescence, that, that we just naturally are self-focused, self-ish in a very healthy way. And everything revolves around us. And, and, and if any of the fathers out there are this, listening to this right now have, have children of three and four, it's, it's about me now. And it's a beautiful, natural element in life. But a consequence of that period in life is that everything that goes on, if it revolves around me, and if it's good, it's because of me. But if it, something goes wrong, it's because of me. Mm. And, and these children don't have the, the systems and the structures internally and the maturity to actually separate from, hey, this parent is dealing with their own stuff. And, and they de- they'll blame themselves. They'll feel guilty and they'll feel shamed about the abandonment. And, and so absolutely, shame and guilt are, um, I, I don't know that I've met anyone that has dealt with father absence that hasn't had an element of shame or guilt involved. And that's, that's a real, it's a real tragedy in society right now. You know, divorce is seen as a lifestyle choice that it is just, you know, things aren't working out, you get divorced, but the consequences on the children are the consequences on the, on, on the, on the husband and wife too, but the consequences on the children are just, not talked about and not recognised in that, in, that, in that choice, right? Absolutely. And, and if you look back in our history, not that long ago, um, children were raised in villages. And it's, it, from a historical perspective, it's it's very short period in time that, that this has changed. And, um, and in that village environment, um, there were large extended families um, there was an environment rich in role models and, and support. And, and so parents weren't the be all end all because there, were, there was culture, there was integrity, there were values. And those values weren't emplaced by just mum and or dad. Those, those values were emplaced by the whole village. And, and these were the lifeblood of the village. And so because fathers have always left to go to war or to, to tend fields or to hunt or to... You know, father absence isn't a brand new construct of the 20th century. Mm. Men have always left, mm. but they've left in an environment that is rich with male role models and support networks. Mm. And if we fast forward through world wars and depressions, the rise of the nuclear family, and now, as you said before, um, almost a commodity of the single parent family, the whole psyche that we are comfortable as a culture to, to raise children as a single parent. Um, and, and I'm not saying that people can't do that, but I think the consequence of, of that decision is displayed in the statistics that we ran through right at the beginning of, of, of this conversation. Yeah. And so, why isn't it? Why isn't it that that um, that men can't just 
get over having an absent father? What is it about it that they can't just, you know, the Aussie way is, oh, she'll be right, just, just man up, get a thick skin and toughen up. Why doesn't that work? Um, yeah, th- th- now there's the $64,000 question and, and a very complex question. And I'll also say, what does man up mean? Yeah, if you're on the footy field mm. um, and, and you know, whether you're playing AFL or rugby or whatever sport you're doing and you get a knock and, and it hurts, and, but man up, get up, go and play the game. That's fine. That, that's a really easy aspect to, to pick. But in life, in a culture that, that I genuinely believe is schizophrenic and gives us so many mixed messages, mm. what does man up even mean? Mm. And, um, and then beyond that, like we're dealing with belief systems. So, so it's not as though... Um, I was walking around or anyone that, that was affected by this are, are walking around going, I feel guilty. I feel shame. It's not a conscious front of the mind aspect. These are deep rooted um, uh, beliefs that, that, that operate in, in our subconscious. And so um, I always liken them to a river and, and this river just flows gently, but it's persistent and consistent. And that river can cut through granite over time. And so, you know, it's not a raging flood. It's, it's, it's not a torrent. It's just a genuine, genuine stream that runs as an undercurrent through our daily lives. And we're sometimes not even aware of it. Hmm. Um, we just, we see it in the results. We see it in the, oh my God, did I do that? Oh my God, am I in this situation? How did I end up here? Like, it's that sort of of thing, and 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 so um, mm. yeah, it, it's really tough thing just to get over. Jack, I think right now you're touching a chord with a huge number of our listeners who can relate to this uh, either through fatherlessness in an absolute sense, or at some point in some aspect through their life. And I think the question they really want to know, and we'll have to maybe get you back on the program for another one of these podcasts, is to is what what would you be doing to help them? What can they do to help themselves and, and how we can even bring some fresh tide of, of benefit back into this, this situation. I'm sure you've got some stuff, but what are the resources that you put together for people? Look, um, uh, yeah, look, I, I suppose for that, I, I'm right at a juncture. And so the timing of, 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 of chatting with you, with Chris, yourself and, and Guy is really um, fantastic. I, I love the way these things just, just come out at, at the right time. So previously I worked with a lot of one-on-one uh, clients and, and I've done quite a lot of group work in a local fashion. But, but um, yeah, for me, the realisation of the size of this issue, the depth of this issue and the global nature of this issue... I've really been doing some some hard questioning of myself and what can I do? And so I'm right in the middle of developing a a whole raft of online resources because one of the great things about what we have is is that this can be dealt with at certain levels 
purely through an online media, exactly like we're doing right now. Um, mm. It's about connecting and, and relating and, and running through and education, environment, and a whole raft of other things. But right now, um, one of the key things that I'm most excited about is, is I'm looking to start working with a couple of uh, very small private groups because of the nature of this work is very personal. Um, so I, I like to keep the groups um, fairly uh, small um, and, uh, and, and look to work with them online though, rather than in person. And this gives us the freedom so I can record mm. the information. We can still have the visual face-to-face -face contact or the verbal, depending on what people want. So um, I'm working in a number of small groups across a number of key areas of this. And, um, and, uh, and one of those is, look, I'm just looking to launch within the next uh, uh, few days, if not a week. Okay, well, what I think we should do, Chris, is we should turn this into a two-part podcast. Yeah, We've got a lot more to talk about. So why don't we, um, why don't we leave it there for this episode? And, um, and listeners, why don't you come back and join us next week and we'll pick up where we left off and hear more about uh, what the solutions that Jack is working on and how you can tap into that. So join us next week for part two of uh, Real Talk for Real Men. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Guy. Thank you, everyone who's listened. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.